Welcome to MuggleCast, your weekly ride into the Wizarding World fandom. I'm Andrew. I'm Eric. I'm Micah. And I'm Laura. This week, we're focusing on one of our favorite new characters from Secrets of Dumbledore, Laylee Hicks, played by Jessica Williams. And we are just going to jump straight into the discussion today. It's been a while since we've done one of these character discussions, I think. And it's our first character discussion from Secrets of Dumbledore. Yes. Very exciting. So I thought it would be interesting kind of going back to my origins at MuggleNet, which is several years ago at this point, but one of the areas that I spent the most time on was name origins. And I thought, what a great way to kind of kick off this discussion. Let's learn a little bit about Eulalie Hicks's name. Can we have a quick sidebar for a second? Sure. Was that the first section you worked on at MuggleNet, the name origin section? Not counting MuggleCast, where I worked on the transcripts. Yeah, I think it was. Okay. I think okay. Name Origins is that one glorious segment that I think everyone had at a certain point or another was passing <laughs> off. Like, Andrew, did you have, were you in charge of that at some point? No. Uh, the, the reason I ask is because I remember very clearly my first section. It was the jkrolling.com section. That was like, I created it from scratch. That was like my pitch to MuggleNet. I was like, I'll join and I'll make this section for you because you guys don't have it yet. And that was Wait, my little corner of MuggleNet. I loved it. Were you just copying and pasting everything that was on JKR.com? No, no. It was like a guide to like, you know, cracking the Easter eggs and oh, the different okay. sections of our site. Yeah, we okay. we did sites about other sites. That is kind of funny, <laughs> actually. <laughs> that is very early 2000s. Yeah. That's so cool, though. That's like the books they sell now that are like so-and-so decoded. Mm. Here's the story behind. And it's like, <laughs> nah, just go on the website. The name Eulalie is primarily a female name of French origin that means well-spoken. So everybody who was all over Eulalie Hicks in this past film for how she was speaking, her name actually means well-spoken. So she was just living up to her name origin. Yeah. Huh. Well, listen, I, I don't think I was all over anything except to say I like it and I'm not used to it. That's all I was trying to say. Okay. Well, if, we if go, that comment was directed towards me. <laughs> no, no, not at all. <laughs> it's probably all of us. <laughs> uh, yeah. We go a little bit further, though. The origins of the name Hicks are from the ancient Anglo-Saxon culture of Britain. So in theory, her family came over from Britain, escaping political, religious, economic persecution, came to the Americas. I know a lot of people also said in the last episode or a couple episodes ago that when she spoke, she actually sounded like she was a bit British. Mm. Mm -hmm. Yes. Yeah, we got a few uh, really cool emails about that, actually. So basically, Eulalie Hicks is a very well-spoken individual of British heritage. So please let us just back off how she speaks in the films. <laughs> I wonder... It's fine well, by I'm me. Definitely going <laughs> to be coming back to that later, though. But uh, I can't wait for us to have Eulalie Hicks's birthday be uh, noticed so that we can talk about maybe we'll do a belated um, horoscope for her uh, the day that that comes out <laughs> just quick do an emergency muggle cast yeah session. we can talk about her do we star know sign Lily? no we don't we don't <laughs> but we do know that jessica williams has a really cool birthday she's born on july 31st actually 1989 which i feel very old uh <laughs> she's younger than me but uh, but anyway, July 31st, 1989 is Harry Potter's birthday. Very mm. exciting. Yeah, that's a fun cool. coincidence, it's especially like it was, being a fan. Yeah, it was meant to be. Yeah. 
And in fact, she uh, was a massive, massive Harry Potter fan tr- uh, prior to getting this role. I think we made the comparison before on the show to like an Ivana Lynch character, you know, type person who is just such a huge fan of the series. Of course, if you are growing up when we were all growing up, uh, the Harry Potter books were, you know, the biggest things out there. And you find out that you share his birthday. I'm sure that was like you know, just the most amazing thing. Yeah. And to the point of her being a big fan, she was on Jimmy Fallon recently to promote Secrets of Dumbledore. And she spoke about how long she's been a fan. So I thought we could play a moment from that. All this like, you know, she's really good at defensive magic and she has these really cool defensive magic sequences that I'm really proud of and that were like the funnest to shoot. You are a Harry Potter fan way before this. Yeah, yeah. My teacher started reading me the Harry Potter books when I was in the third grade. Me too. Yeah. (laughs) Yeah, I'm the the same age as you are. Absolutely. Uh, (laughs) Absolutely, fellow millennial. That's exactly right. Yes, how cool. Let's go to our skateboards after this and skate around. Absolutely. And have a hard time buying houses. Yeah. (laughs) Uh, But uh, to go into this world did do you kind of freak out being on set well how much is real and how much is cgi yeah it's i mean obviously unfortunately the magic is not real you know and so (laughs) but it felt like when i was a kid and we would like play fight growing up and you know you play with an adult and you kind of do a fake punch and then you know like my dad would go oh you know so we were doing that, but we had these incredible stunt people. So I would kind of wave my wand and things would happen. But it was just like a guy laying on the floor, you know, shutting the door. So uh, one of the key moments that I liked from that was she's been a Harry Potter fan since third grade, which actually resonated with me because my fourth grade Harry Potter or my fourth grade teacher read Harry Potter to me. And we were actually born the same year. So she was introduced to Harry Potter I guess a year earlier than I was, come to think of it, which is kind of It's cool. truly amazing. How many teachers read to their kids, read Harry Potter? Like this is- Just the cool lot, ones. But... Just the yeah, cool yeah, ones. I know, I know, I know, I know. <laughs> That's so cool. Eulalie Hicks is actually uh, from Harlem, New York, according to another interview with Jessica. So a New York teacher teaching in Massachusetts at Overmorny School. The other interesting thing about sort of how this all transpired, we remember that Eulalie was actually in Crimes of Grindelwald for a hot second during the sequence where she's found in the book that Nicholas Flamel has, uh, with or without a phoenix on the cover. Hmm, interesting. With, but anyway, uh, she was actually announced as this character way back on April 22nd, 2018. So four years before her big, like, you know, huge debut as the character. And it turns out this announcement was uh, in between different acts of Harry Potter and the Cursed Child on their Broadway New York opening night. Looking back at this, you know, it was announced and Jessica was with the author across from a table doing this. Weren't we in New York that day, guys? <laughs> Seeing that same show on Broadway opening night. Did we were were they at the next Was table? it that show? Were they at the next table over and we didn't know? I they were probably eating at a much fancier restaurant than we were. Ah, uh, but... no. We only go for the best. Yeah. Well, I remember we were in there for that because that was my 30th birthday present where we spent all that money to go see both acts. <laughs> yeah. Anyway. Uh, so more about the character of Eulalie Hicks. She is a professor of charms at Overmorny School. 
And uh, she is in Thunderbird House. Represent. I am a Thunderbird. I'm a Thunderbird. So what do you two think makes Laley Hicks a Thunderbird? Do you remember your Ilver Morning House knowledge? Nope. <laughs> Not at all. <laughs> Not one bit. Not well, one see, bit. So, okay, so wait. Wampus are the warriors. Pukwudgie are the healers. Uh, Horned Serpent are the studious ones. Thunderbirds represents the soul and favors adventurers. I would say the favors okay. adventurers one definitely makes sense for Laylee. I yes. agree. Yeah. I remember when these houses first came out, I had this theory that they were like the Hogwarts houses, but like shifted. So like a blend between yeah. two Hogwarts houses to do the Overmorning house. Um, and so if that were the case, I would suggest that Lally is part Gryffindor, you know, for like more adventurous daring. And part Hufflepuff. Let's not forget how well she takes to hanging around with a nomage for this whole film. Uh, and, you know, she's very personable, it seems. You know who else is a Thunderbird? Frank. But I'm... The nip... Wait. It was just a joke. Oh. <laughs> it wasn't meant to stump anybody. I thought we'd take a quick second just to talk about charms, because this is the subject, like... If, I, I imagine that she and Professor Flitwick are just totally different in style, but they both are very similar, I guess, in personality. I don't know, to be a charms teacher, you really have to love the cool field of study that are charms, right? Mm -hmm. And not only that, but Lally wrote a book on charms, which uh, Newt read and says is very, very good. The title of that book is Achievements in Charming. I wonder if that'll come up in the future. How old do we think Laylee actually is? Mid-20s? 30s? Um, I would guess she's probably similar in age to Jessica Williams. So around like 32, 33. Yeah, like early 30s, maybe late 20s. Okay. There's a companion book out there called The Secrets of Dumbledore Movie Magic, and uh, it's actually one of the preview pages available on Amazon is about Lally. Mm -hmm. um, and it says that she and Tina went to school together, which directly places her age at the same as Tina and Queenie. Tina was born in 1901. Fantastic Beasts 3 is set in, what did we say last week? 1935? 30, 31, 32. 31, 32. Uh-oh, we're already forgetting. So yes, she is around uh, Jessica Williams's actual age. 32, 33, yeah. let's say. Okay. Interesting. The reason I ask that is because if you've written a book, presumably you're already very, very good at what you do. So you have the authority to write a book on charms and evidently one that somebody like Newt and maybe even Dumbledore really admires. I just think it's cool to have like a hip young charms professor at Overmorning. It makes me real. It honestly makes me want to see Overmorning more. Yeah, yeah. I think Agreed. especially because at Hogwarts, it's mostly a lot of older teachers, I think. The, the youngest, sexiest one, if you will, at Hogwarts was Lockhart until he turned out to be a piece of crap, you know? So yeah, I think that's probably one of the more appealing aspects. I think you're right that she is younger when so many professors we know aren't. Right. Well, how, I, I see her. Oh, I was going to say, how old is Ilver Morney at this point? I know we have to have a, mm. a founding date. Yeah, let me give that a quick Google. I was going to say, I think that Eulaly was definitely the professor that most students want to have. They want to be in her class. I could see that. Yeah, we all have that cool teacher who surfs during the summer and who you might be a little attracted to. <laughs> <laughs> 
Yeah, they're just effortlessly cool. Yeah, right. What's their I, name, Andrew? I yeah, I'm forgetting his name, but he was definitely a cool surfer teacher, math teacher. Uh, Ilvermorning was founded in the 17th century, so it's been around for a while. It has been around for a while, not as long as Hogwarts. So right, you know, they don't yet have ghosts as professors. So I think it's fair to say mm. that their average professor age might skew a little bit younger. Yeah. <laughs> I like point. that a lot. Viewing the age of the teachers as like exponential to the age of the school. That's a really interesting correlation there. Um, interestingly, she's also the keeper of the keys for Overmorning. And that's from the uh, magic book, movie magic. Thanks to Jerry C, by the way. Uh, she gave us the tip about this uh, free page of viewing <laughs> on Lally. But uh, what does it mean to be the keeper of the keys? Because we never got into this for Hagrid that I can remember, but he carries all the keys. World, <laughs> in a world where you can just Alohomora, another charm, by the way, um, you know, open the door. What is the purpose of being well, the keeper of the keys? You still need a backup set. In case your wand breaks down, and <laughs> in, in case the magic runs out of magic, the or magic stops working. Magical, have this right. heavy door. If, what if there's a magic outage? You need a good old fashioned physical key to unlock the doors. It is interesting I, that I guess Rowling was just like, eh, "I'll make her keeper of the keys too." At Overmorning, what the hell? Well, like, because it is so random. It just, I never think about this for Hagrid, but I guess I always assumed it was just a BS job they give him to make him feel important with Hagrid. <laughs> like, you know, he got expelled and Dumbledore gave him a, a few like things to do, including keeper of the keys. <laughs> well, I always saw a keeper of the keys as the protector of the school, the one responsible mm. for really ensuring its security. And that would be cool if Laylee was also that for Ilvermorny. Be and interesting to know in her duties. Why? Well, <laughs> but do yeah. you consider Hagrid good security for Hogwarts? Better than Lely, Okay. <laughs> Better than. <laughs> I mean, I guess like the only reason I could argue Hagrid might be well positioned is because his hut is literally positioned out front of Hogwarts. But I don't. And I he's don't, like between yeah. the forest and Hogwarts. So is he symbolically representing someone who can control? the beasts in the forest and convince them to not cross into the grounds. I'm not sure. But he drinks a lot. So he's like <laughs> drinking on the job if he's also security. But also and he gets everyone in the forest trusts him though. <laughs> no, he is that he is that sort of guardian of the, like the threshold between the very dangerous forbidden forest and the school. So I like that, you know, his grounds on the edge of the or his hut on the edge of the grounds is really symbolic for that. Um, you know, when, yes. when I was in elementary school, I was keeper of the television remote in the cafeteria. And every morning when I entered the school, I would go into the cafeteria and turn on the six TVs in the cafeteria. Keeper of the television oh. remote. I love you that. Felt... Do we need to cut that? Was that way too much of a tangent? Did you get no. extra credit for that? <laughs> Andrew, I just have to say, you must have felt so special. I had so much power. I was turning on the televisions <laughs> every morning. Did you make morning. friends as a result, or did people resent what you put on? In yeah, the were they no. like, hey, hey, turn on Cartoon Network? I was given this job because I had no friends in elementary school oh, or middle school. <laughs> they were like, oh, man, we feel bad for him. Let's give him the remote. Let's tell My him. My TV tech... 
Just tell him that this is like a big responsibility. I know, exactly. That's what I'm talking about with Keeper of the Keys. Hagrid does not have to let anyone in ever. Lally gallivants around the world. She's in Berlin. She's in Bhutan. She's at Hogwarts. I bet nobody even knew she was gone. Apart from her teaching duties, the Keeper of the Keys role is a useless role. I'm going to say it. But it would have been glad. great if in Secrets of Dumbledore, we saw her carrying around a big ring of keys. Actually, I'm is- glad you mentioned that. Because Colleen Atwood is quoted, the costume designer is quoted as saying she there is a keychain underneath like her vest. There's oh. like a you don't see keys. It doesn't jingle when she walks, but there is a, a ring which is symbolic to her role there. Oh, okay. Kind of well, looks like a pocket watch. It's in some of the promo photos. When we watch it on streaming, maybe we can catch a glimpse of this. Yeah. Yeah. So moving on. Um, let's just talk again about her personality a little bit. She really is just like an effortlessly sense of cool. Um, maybe even cocky. Were anybody, was anybody like put off by how self-congratulatory she is? No, I didn't really have that takeaway. She struck me as quirky rather than cocky. Yeah, I would just describe it more as she's very confident. And I can see why you might consider that cocky just because she does carry so much of this confidence. Yeah. If a man did it, it, because of how she speaks, if a man did it, nobody would say anything. (laughs) Yeah. But it's not that same cockiness that a Lockhart has. Right. I think confidence was the word that was used. I, I agree. I think she's definitely very confident in who she is and her abilities. And that comes through. I just thought we were going to get into another discussion about how she speaks. And, and that's why people feel a certain way about her. Well, I think, too, it really helps that she's been recruited uh, during the plot of the film because of how awesome she is. Look, I mean, I, I don't think that any of these people in this movie, these heroes need to question their own worth uh, when Dumbledore himself is recruiting them for this task. And their stakes are no higher than save the wizarding world. Um, so I, I think you're allowed to be cool and uh, a bit self-assured when going and doing this thing, because she's, she's really the standout character in this film, I think, because of how awesome she is. And to what Jessica was saying, um, in that interview, a lot of like the magic that she gets to do is also very awesome. This might be a controversial take, but I feel like the Americans in this series so far are the best characters. I agree. Wow. Jacob. Ja- right. Jacob and Lily. That's Lely. Yeah, yeah. I think they're the most interesting. I don't think it's an American bias. I just think, oh, maybe it is. It's our time. I realize it. <laughs> it's our time. <laughs> it's our time. American Wizard Hive rise. <laughs> this movie was putting uh, Hufflepuffs on the map, and now it's putting American Wizards on the map. Yeah, that Yay. was like an unintended consequence, I- I'm willing to bet. But yeah. well, I didn't even realize that by pairing him up with or pairing Lally up with uh, Jacob, it's the two Americans. Uh, yeah. Oh, well, that's a good point, too. So something we discovered about Lely that I find very interesting is that her wand has a mermaid handle and it has an African mermaid hair core that was made of African rosewood with a light ebony shaft. And I thought this was especially interesting because when I was looking around on the Noble Collections website, I noticed that Queenie's wand has a seashell handle. So two wizards in America 
have wands with very unique handles. I don't really remember seeing this in the Harry Potter series much. I guess some wands had maybe like a skull. Yeah, Voldemort is like a femur. Yeah. Um, <laughs> yeah, yeah, yeah. That is really interesting. And I think it's very uh, a cool way to make it very specific to the character, right? So like clearly that resonates with Lally as a character, the way that Queenie's seashell wand would relate to her. There's also, there's the canon explanation for it, which I think is that, you know, American wizards, whoever makes wands in America has like a little bit of a flourish. And then there's also the production department, um, you know, understanding that because these are films, they probably were just trying something new uh, to distinguish the wands that they were making for the Fantastic Beasts series from all the ones that they were using in Harry Potter. I agree. I also think, though, we can read into it and say that wand making is localized, that the wands that we see in the core Harry Potter books are a more typical kind of wand that you would see in the British Isles, um, maybe across you know, most of Europe. But as you branch out into other parts of the world, there are other materials that wand makers are using. Perhaps some of them are more powerful. Both of these are water-based designs yeah. too. I'm, Seashell, mermaid. I'm just looking up here too, that there's actually four wand makers in America. Well, Andrew, I think you're onto something about the water-based aspect. Wings from the water. Water in the trailer. Uh, is. So much water. There is. <laughs> well, there's also the possibility we shouldn't discount that both Queenie and Lally made their own wands or altered them to have this shape. I'm thinking of it kind of like in Star Wars, the Jedi goes through training to construct their own lightsaber. Um, the idea that, you know, as accomplished witches, they would alter their own wand to be a little bit more personal as opposed to like the more plain look. That's a really fun idea. Maybe they did something like this in their arts and crafts class in Ilvermorty. But all right, let's talk about her accent, because this is really cool. Remember, this is the character that's like, you put yourself in considerable danger to help a perfect stranger. <laughs> and I've just never heard anything else like it. We got some emails, and I'd like each of us to read one. Yeah, Emily says, hi, I was listening to last week's episode, and I have an answer for, for Eulalie's dialect. I am a voice and speech teacher for theater students, and what I believe she is going for is a mid-Atlantic dialect. The mid-Atlantic dialect, and what came to be known as the standard American, is a partially invented dialect used to produce an upper-class specific dialect in New England. We still teach a version of this today, but a less British-influenced version. Mid-Atlantic refers to how a person would sound if they were born in the middle of the Atlantic between the U.S. and the U.K. The book that codified this dialect was Edith Skinner's Speak with Distinction, which we still teach today, although the industry is currently looking at ways to move away from this book. Catherine Hepburn was the poster child for it. I agree that the actress hit the accent a bit too hard in the beginning of the movie, and it also seems odd that she is the only American character with this distinct mid-Atlantic sound. So you have a name for it. That's really interesting. And who knew that a dialect coach listened to MuggleCast? That's cool. <laughs> There's actually more here. 
Laura, do you want to take this email from James? Yeah, sure. James says, hi, MuggleCast. In relation to last week's discussion of Jessica Williams' accent as Laylee Hicks, it sounded to me like a transatlantic accent. This was an accent you heard a lot in the 20s and 30s among two groups, rich people and actors and actresses. It was meant to sound American, but slightly British, pretty much an attempt to sound vaguely well Wealthy and sophisticated without an outright British accent. Cary Grant is probably the most famous transatlantic voice out there, but there were lots of them. You can see a pretty good example of a bunch of different actors in a scene with the accent here. And James provided a video, which I think we can include in our show notes. Link in the show notes. Um, yep. James goes on to say it could be that Jessica Williams was just emulating actors and actresses that she's seen in movies from the 20s and 30s. But I think it could also easily make sense for Laylee herself to have a transatlantic accent. Maybe she was born rich and grew up talking that way. Or maybe she grew up poor and tried to emulate the way rich people talked or any number of circumstances, just hoping to shed some light on the accent thing. I think this is a really good call out. You know, the accent really reminded me of the kind of accent you would hear from radio announcers during this period of time, that's what it reminded me of. And, and yeah, my only, the only thing I noticed about it was that it started out strong, and it kind of got more subtle through the movie. But the accent itself, I don't have a problem with. Yeah, I never had a problem with it. I think the thing for me is it was so unique sounding to anything other than I had heard. So I guess my question was, you know, is there a historical context? It turns out, yes, absolutely. Uh, and mm-hmm. in fact, if you're listening to Catherine Hepburn or Cary Grant, um, you know, in films and radio from this time period, you'll hear pretty much the same thing. And Micah, you may be excited to know that I reached out to our good friend, David Peterson, the linguist and con linguist from uh, or who's done a lot of his own languages uh, but actually, he gave a few more examples of where you can find this accent. Yeah. And I think most people would probably recognize him most recently from Game of Thrones. He invented the Dothraki language. Um, That's right. But he says it's- an, And Valyrian. And Valyrian. Yeah. It's an old American accent similar to the mother, Lady Grantham's in Downtown Abbey, or Downton Abbey, excuse me, or in particular, Danae Benton's character, Peggy Scott in The Gilded Age. The accent survived in Hollywood into the 30s longer than it survived in the real world. I'd say by the 40s, it was exclusively an affectation. What does that mean? Affectation, kind of like a thing that quirky people do to stay quirky. Yep. We're using quirky quite a bit on today's episode of the show. (laughs) Quirky Lally, we have a title. I'm pretty sure our Gen Z social media manager made fun of me for using that word. That's the only reason I bring it up. Oh, really? We yeah. gotta know. We have to popularize quirky. Yeah, I, I don't that. use quirky. See, as a she negative. said bad word. Okay, what's a good what's a good synonym, Chloe? What's a good synonym for quirky? Odd. <laughs> but she's. I don't think she's odd. I, no. I think quirky people Unique. are cool. I think there's an endearing, an inherent endearing nature to quirky as a word. Unique, eccentric. Says Chloe. Eccentric. Unique, eccentric, what about or eccentric. Eclectic. Eclectic. Well, I think eclectic betrays the possibility that a quirky person may not always hit the mark because eclectic now sounds like storied, um, high taste, 
you know, I think quirky people aren't necessarily eclectic. Yeah, I think there's some overlap, but apparently quirky has a bad connotation now. <laughs> Don't listen to the Gen Z around this. We make this. Sh- we're going to we're going to bring quirky cool. Quirky's we're going to cool. bring quirky back. We're bringing Corgi back. Um, yeah, no, we we can we can say that she's unique. I think unique, eccentric. I think these are great descriptors for her. Yeah, and I mean, all of this. I'm thrilled about the emails we received about the accent because it is an aspect of her character that I think we shouldn't ignore. And finding out that it not only was it historically, there's you know things of the time period. But just having a name for it was something that I personally just wanted. I was like, oh, it's a transatlantic accent. Now look at what we've learned, ladies and gentlemen. And before we move on, I just want to say David mentioned Downton Abbey. Downton Abbey, a new era, hits theaters this week. I am so excited. I'm going to be the youngest person in the movie theater, I bet. And I have no problem with that whatsoever. Andrew, my mom is going with all her friends. Ugh, I want to go with your mom and all her friends. I know. You you should fly out here and go with them. Oh, my God. <laughs> Just be one of the ladies. My mom and grandmother are going to it, too. <laughs> is this a continuation? Is yes. It a pre- okay. Well, much like we did with our Newt Scamander discussion recently, we're going to talk about some of Lally's relationships with other characters in the films. And actually, speaking of Lally related to other characters, there's this comment in our Discord from Kyle who says, if we ever get a fourth movie, then I insist that we get a scene with Lally and young Flitwick talking about charms. If we could have McGonagall, then Flitwick deserves to be in this series too. Can you imagine that duo? That could be like a an after credit scene. Oh, <laughs> yes. Where they recruit people to the Charms League. <laughs> One of them's wearing an eye patch. Do, um, do you want to join sorry. the the Charms Avengers? <laughs> That's how they branch out into Avengers. Yeah, they're their oh, own like MCU I want that as a series. All right, I'm putting that down as my TV series idea. That's going to yeah. be great. Charmengers. Charmengers. Avengers. Char- <laughs> but see what what a cool way like for them to do these you know, very clear call outs to the core Harry Potter books. This would actually be a way to do it that was relevant and probably in keeping with the timeline instead of just retconning McGonagall and putting her in a movie where technically in the timeline she wasn't even born yet. <laughs> mm. um, let's yeah. do this, you know. If we're going off character design from the original Harry Potter movies, the first two, Flitwick is old enough or appears old enough that he could have realistically been alive and teaching back in this era. Yeah, yeah he might be Laylee's age, right? Yeah, I mean, it, it should work out timeline-wise. Yeah. I think you're right. But let's be real. I mean, Flitwick isn't as fun of a choice to include as like McGonagall is. And that's why McGonagall gets priority. (laughs) Well, that just sounds like um, some setup problems on behalf of the franchise. (laughs) Because if they had given Flitwick more love, they would have that opportunity now. But Uh, I digress. That's... That's nah. fair. I'm just thinking like the casual Harry Potter fan isn't like, I got to see Secrets of Dumbledore to see Flitwick in it. <laughs> I would actually love for Warwick Davis to reprise his role. Yes. That would yeah. that would be a really unique opportunity where an actor has like crossover between the two franchises. In fact, now I need that to happen. <laughs> and I bet he would be down for it. Warwick Davis. Yeah. So let's talk about um, Lally's relationship with Newt very briefly. Uh, because Newt does say that he and Lally have corresponded for years. 
this kind of sounds like so there's there's two warring factions or wolves within Newt, right? One of them is he wants to be alone. He doesn't get along with people. He doesn't talk to people. His beasts are his people. They're his friends. And he's a recluse. Then there's this like worldly aspect where he's a published author now. And, you know, we kind of have to do the analysis and the heavy lifting because the movies won't. But how would Newt have first gotten a hold of Lally or, or, you know, found her circle? Did he read her book and say he liked it? I think that's a safe place to start. Although I could also see her maybe reading his book first and getting in touch because she just seems a lot more outgoing and like the kind of person who would make that connection. So I could see her reaching out to him. Hey, one academic to another. I loved your book. And him being like, oh, my gosh, like I've heard her name like she's this famous charms professor from Ilvermorny. I got to read her book too. And then he like quickly, (laughs) quickly devours her book and gets back to her and is like, oh my God, your story was amazing. Um, So I could see, you know, that maybe being the link. And when they talked about corresponding for years, that's a very vague (laughs) um, (laughs) sort of allusion to how long they've been talking. So you know, the series plays fast and loose with time. So that's my headcanon. Yeah, because this, mo- this movie could be set anywhere from 1927 to 1938 yep. or something. So mm-hmm. it's like corresponding for years. Well, um, although when you were talking, Laura, you did remind me that Lally uh, said that Newt's book is required reading for her fifth years. Yep. Um, but if we listen to the timeline of the movie, the book only was published like eight months ago. So Right. So, yeah, the timeline doesn't matter. It's like the points in whose line is it anyway. Oh, my God. Yeah, I I see that as a possibility. It's just it is cool to see capable witches and wizards uh, interact with one another. Like, I think Mm -hmm. Newt would definitely be able to perform uh, magic at a higher level, just like Lally is. But his focus is performing things that uh, help the beasts that are under his care. I found this quote, too, from Jessica Williams. She said, Eulalie is really heart-driven, and I think she's really good at seeing at the heart of people, and I think Dumbledore recruits her because he knows that about her, and I think she's somebody you can always depend on to do what's good and what's right, which is also kind of like a throwback to Newt's whole thing in this movie. Yeah, Um, Hufflepuff trait. Big Hufflepuff trait. Yeah, yeah. But I thought that was interesting to kind of try and help explain her relationship with Dumbledore further, because it is largely a mystery right now, besides them being connected mm-hmm. through this book well in a movie that in a movie that talks about the purity of your heart right that's an open line of dialogue between dumbledore and jacob uh the chillin sees the pureness of your heart it's interesting to but makes perfect sense to have a character in lally who also is pure of heart to be here joining the uh the heroes hot take the chillin should have bowed to Laylee. Yes. And she would have been like, yes, why, thank you. I will become Supreme Mugwood now. (laughs) In addition to my role as Keeper of Keys. And I didn't even have to campaign. Important. Oh, it'd be funny if she turned it down because she's Keeper of Keys. Like, my job (laughs) at Elvermorny is way too important. It's like having a television remote and turning on TVs every day. I can't let it go to anybody else. But I got Oh, my God. You know what, though? I, I feel like I could see her turning it down. But... I think the difference between her and Dumbledore is that she would turn it down because she genuinely doesn't want it. 
I think Dumbledore does want it, but he recognizes that he is the kind of personality who shouldn't have it. He's like, sorry, I'm putting myself in a self-imposed timeout right now. Yeah, exactly. Because he's like, yeah, you know, I did the whole like greater good thing and muggles should be subservient. And, you know, maybe I'm not the best person for this. And it's still kind of weird that the chillin bowed to me with that background of my history. But I could Mm. genuinely see Eulalie being like, Teaching is my passion. I love working with young people. I love making discoveries in the education of charms. I want to continue being an academic, and this isn't for me. But the chillin', honestly, again, top two people it should have bowed to, Eulalie and Jacob. Again, the American characters. I'm just saying. Well, it is just so interesting pairing them together for most of this film. Like when Jacob's doing his thing where he does like the people watching and she like is laughing and tolerating it. Like the Norwegian minister of magic with the big bushy mustache. And he's like, I think that guy's killed a guy. (laughs) (laughs) She's just, she's the perfect dinner companion because like she'll smile and let you know that you're being funny. But like, she'll also be like, yeah, no, no. But yeah, so so Lolly and Dumbledore, we've already talked about how we think they probably would have corresponded by a letter or for being outstanding in their field would have been at the same conference. Mm-hmm. Although I don't think we get a uh, one-on-one scene with Lolly and Dumbledore specifically. No. No. There's that one moment when they're on the uh, city streets. Oh, right. But it's not just them. I think Jacob's there too, right? And yeah, Lolly and Dumbledore do have a kind of back and forth. And I really liked that scene because you could tell they had great chemistry and just the the two characters had a good relationship too. While it was a small and subtle moment, I thought they really shined in that scene. Mm. I'm saying Laley, Eric saying Lally. I don't know which it is, but Uh, I feel bad going back and forth. It's um, an accent thing. I'm sorry. (laughs) No, it's not. I'm not saying it's, I don't know who's right. I forget what they say in the movie. By the way, if everybody's wondering where Micah went, he had to step away for a few minutes. He didn't um, yeah. fall off the face of the earth. So regarding Lally's relationship with Theseus, which we've speculated about, you know, is there something there? Could they be romantically involved in the future film? And I'd love to see it. And particularly because the second that she arrives on the train uh, and is introduced to Theseus, they kind of have this rapport. They're kind of, they kind of start maybe like flirting a little bit. Yeah. And then of course, by the end of the film, it seems clear to me that they do, that they are interested in each other. I guess I can't remember what I decided, um, a week or two ago, but I will say they're definitely on a sort of date for this wedding. Maybe they're not officially together at this point, but they're testing the waters. I mean, we've, they arrive, they, yeah. we've legitimately gotten more progress on that relationship than we have with Newt and Tina. <laughs> wait, wait, Newt and Tina are at a wedding together, too. No, they're, they didn't come together. They did arrive oh, separately. Okay. That's, so that's arriving, arriving together to a social engagement is further along than Newt and Tina's entire relationship so far. Yeah. Yeah. The attraction between Eulalie and Theseus is palpable. We all walked away from the movie feeling it. With Newt and <laughs> Tina, it's like we just like glance shyly at each other. They're bashful. They like each other the same amount. They're just shy about it. They're just boring. I'm I sorry. Know. Their relationship is so boring to me. Every, every other relationship is so much more interesting. 
I think it just needs to move more. That's the reason it's boring. Like yeah. you can see they are interested in each other. Like Newt just like practically blacks out every time he talks about her. <laughs> but <laughs> but there's no progress in this relationship. And that's that's yeah. I, I think that's why it's boring. Fantastic Beast Four should be Newt trotting around the globe to secretly uh find from the belly of a beast. Uh, like a jewel or something that he can put into a ring and propose to Tina. And that'll be the whole film, yeah. moving their relationship forward. Salamander eye. He'll just... Oh. <laughs> <laughs> yeah. No, he but... wouldn't do that because he's not going to hurt an animal, but... He'll find the one salamander that can regrow its eye. There he'll, you go. He'll find like a, a rock that looks like a salamander eye. Yes. <laughs> Polish it, put it in the ring. Like Grop with the bicycle... Uh, <laughs> yeah like i think this is very nice here yeah. you should have this but-, but what i really love about the idea of eulalie and theseus is i see them being a challenge for each other not in a negative way um but i see them both as having very strong personalities and sense senses of self and their obligations and i can see the two of them pushing each other to sort of be better or grow. Um, whether that means that they grow together or grow apart, I don't know. But I can definitely see Theseus, who seems very strong willed and kind of like, I don't know, prototypical, like stiff, like upper crust British <laughs> type, uh. um, being kind of thrown off by Eulalie and her adventurous spirit. And her unwillingness to compromise her values and what it is she wants out of life. I think I mentioned this in a previous episode, but I could see him wanting her to move to the UK and her being like, nope. (laughs) (laughs) I'm keeper of the keys, yo. I got to stay here. (laughs) It's a really important job, honestly. I can't boat back and forth between the two countries every time somebody needs me to unlock a door. I mean, we saw what happens when wizards get on boats. I'm not doing that. <laughs> oh, God, you're right. I don't have right. wings to rise from the water. <laughs> I read through one interview with Jessica Williams, and she did say that she is going to continue to have a big role going into movies four and five, asterisk, assuming those movies happen. So I do think the plan is to, I'm hopeful the plan is to develop Lally and Theseus's relationship over the course of the next two movies. And it's also good just from the standpoint of Theseus uh, losing Lita in the last movie. Clearly, there is something there. Though that said, I am glad that <laughs> those two aren't together because I felt bad for Newt, who seems that to was, used uh, to have feelings for... Yeah, it's the, the the dynamic was just a little strange, so... I will say that uh, Lally and Theseus are both very organized people, right? They're a part of a larger organization. So, you know, Theseus is a ministry man and there's a very formality about that um, to Laura's point about him being sort of crusty upper class British. But then Lally is very well established as a professor, as a teacher, as an educator. Um, They both probably really love their jobs. Um, And Newt, you know, in comparison is very... Uh, itinerant and very like kind of nomadic um, yeah in his life and his even in his views it, it seems so 
I think that Lally and uh, Theseus are of the same cloth. Yeah. I ship it. <laughs> I think it makes sense now to talk about just some badass Lally moments. This also raises kind of a problematic question I kind of want to ask you guys. When we first meet Lally, she is setting an elaborate trap, basically, because she has been sent to recruit Jacob to go with her, but she is under the impression that he would not want to. So she pays a cousin of hers to come and accost her on the street, knowing that if he makes a big enough fuss, him and his buddies, Jacob will hopefully step in and do the right thing before what exactly happens. Um, Do we think it's kind of problematic that she stages like her own assault to get Jacob out of his shop? The thing is, it was never going to be an assault. It was just because she was working with these guys. Like, yeah, it looks like it's going that way, but it just doesn't go any further than heckling. And for that reason, no, I don't I don't personally think that this is like. Yeah, well, and and she is in charge of it. Right. So she has agency over the whole thing. And I think she does this because she knows that based on who Jacob is, he would never not intervene so she knows it's probably the best way to get his attention and as we see he's very stubborn when it comes to getting involved with the wizarding world again so it's going to take something big to convince him pull him out of the woodwork or the shop in this case i suppose i would have preferred it if uh she just straight up asked him first and then when he said no she's leaving and then these men follow her and he's like oh god i gotta help her out um, kind of a thing as opposed to this misdirect. And, and let me be clear, this is not a mark on her character. It's a mark on the writing. When I first heard that this was going to be how Lally's introduced, staging the, you know, with these these guys that are coming after, I thought, why would you even bring this up? Why is this? What is the place of this? This seems incredibly problematic. I think it's fun because the second time you watch it, you know what's going on from the beginning. The first time you watch it, you have a completely different interpretation of the scene. Whereas the second time that you watch it, yeah, you know what's really going on and then you read it totally differently in real time, which I thought was fun that's much more enjoyable yeah when she's giving him tips like raise your arms wider like a crazy yeah yeah yeah. (laughs) it's fun but it's at first it was not at all fun i think like the rewatch it's better yeah i think the thing is though and i mean this is just me coming at it with my perspective but i felt like there was something empowering about it in a way of giving her control over that situation to kind of manipulate what was happening and ultimately kind of reverse the roles where you thought that it was a scenario where she was being heckled, but actually she turned into the heckler. Oh, fair enough. It is what it is. Nevertheless, when she gets to the moment where Jacob's like, I'm not the right guy for this. And she says, actually, you are. She's able to prove it because he did just come out of his shop to save her. So she did manage to bring out, and I understand that's why this is in the writing, to really bring out Jacob's heroic side. Mm-hmm. He's able to see past his own depression, his own self-worth issues as a result of what happened with him and Queenie. And it's also very effective at recapping um, the events of the previous films when she's kind of walking through his history and proving that she knows more about him than he may know himself. So I think from the word go, 
were pretty interested in her. Also, she closes up his shop for him. She changes his clothes for him. Uh, and then they use a book to disappear. In fact, so much magic involving Lally involves books. Do you guys re- like mm. there's that whole sequence later at the candidates dinner where uh, Jacob is like they, they both walk on top of books to elevate to like the center of the room before disappearing. It's very, very bookish, very cool, very professorial type of magic. It's yeah. symbolic of the times. It might be a nod to Harry Potter fans. And well, she's an also, author. Yeah, she's an academic. She's an author. So I think that's just her unique spin on what her, you know, book port key looks like and how it works. And uh, speaking of the candidate's dinner, it is Lally who kind of saves Jacob's life when he decides he's going to confront Grindelwald and somebody shouts assassin. People would realize pretty quickly that Jacob was not doing anything magic. But Lally is the one who casts the first spells and then also directs his wand to point at the spell to make it look like he's actually, you know, causing the distraction that he is. Um, Lally very nicely, I think, comes in exactly when she's needed and where she's needed. She's very apt in that way. Yeah, I really liked this scene, but I wish that Jacob was still able to do his own magic through that wand. That just would have been way more interesting and I think what really everybody was expecting. I don't know what the point is of the wand if he can't actually do something himself with it. To confuse Grindelwald. (laughs) But why do we think Dumbledore paired Jacob and Lally together? It might just be that as an objective observer, she's able to like Newt is caught by surprise constantly in this film. Um, like he lets his own brother get taken right in front of him. Sorry, Newt, you did do that. Um, so I feel like Lally is able to be one step removed and thus a better protector for Jacob, who I think objectively needs the most protected uh, protection in this film. True. I guess it is a sign of his trust and Lally that see I'm saying it the other way now that um, that I didn't even okay. notice the Lally Lally her, thing okay so her the her name is you Lally right Lally. so if we're you shortening Lally. it it would be Lally, Lally. right okay Lally yes is that what she says in the movie you Lally Hicks I think I don't remember if she says <laughs> Lally or Lolly we need to watch a clip again <laughs> discord help us I think it's a sign of Dumbledore's trust in her that he does pair her up with Jacob because obviously Jacob is in danger like you're saying Eric potentially in a lot of danger so he needs somebody by his side who's really going to be able to look out for her for him yeah I think it's also because she is so skilled at charms and Dumbledore has given Jacob this fake wand so if there's ever a point where Jacob needs to give the appearance of being able to do magic then Laylee is the perfect person for him to be partnered with. I agree. So what does the future look like for Laylee? A week or two ago, one of our listeners, Justin, who I think is in our Patreon Discord right now and on the live stream, he said that the first HBO Max spinoff series needs to focus on Laylee. And this got me thinking, what could they do? for her if she got her own solo show because i think it is a good idea we americans there's lots of american harry potter fans we would love to learn more about the american wizarding world if they do a good job right building in world building right 
So I came up with a pitch for a TV show. Y'all want to hear it? Uh, yes. yes. So this show is just called Charmed. You loved the original Charmed, but hated the <laughs> reboot on the CW. Now Charmed is rebooting again. And this time it's a whole new show. Join Laley Hicks as she balances life as an overmorning charms professor with needing to assist friends across the American wizarding world. In each new episode, Laley helps her students hit the books and practice charms before she portkeys her way around the 1950s American wizarding world to put her charms to use. Who's going to tickle a sleeping giant awake and levitate them off a busy muggle road? Who's going to trigger an effective exploding charm that'll open a cave rumored to be filled with ancient magic studies? Who will undo a horrible drought charm that has caused panic on the West Coast? Laley's got it. <laughs> I can see the theme song right now focused mostly on that slogan. Laley's got it. <laughs> Who's got it? It's Laley. <laughs> like I like love, Bewitched, yeah. maybe. Like, I know. Oh, I was yeah. saying, I love the idea of it being shot as though it's in that time period. Like... Kind of like how um, it reminds, I mean, Bewitched, of course, but it also reminds me of how they shot WandaVision right? Yes. to make it look like it was in period. That would be <sighs> super cool. So good. Yeah. I love everything about that pitch, Andrew. I think it's the definitive pitch. Thanks. I I'm, I was very excited about it when I uh, came up with it's it. excellent. <laughs> HBO Max, hire Andrew. You get time in Elvermorny, and then on her weekends, she goes and saves a day across the American Wizarding World. That's... That would be a lot of fun. I really would love to see, uh, you know, Laylee relate to Tina a lot more. Uh, I think we have a second chance, perhaps, of learning more about Tina as a character if you have a scene where uh, Laylee is regaling everybody else about stories about Tina, since they are close, since they do know each other. So having Tina have one of her presumably closest friends and her sister back in the next movie really gives us a prime insight into seeing the whole dynamic. So hopefully uh, Laylee in future films uh, will be paired with Tina and you'll get to see like just these two badass witches really just go help and fix things. Yeah. What else do we think the future holds for Laylee? Hmm. Let, maybe, maybe not spinoffs. Let's say in the next movie or two. <laughs> I'd hate to see her. She doesn't strike me as being somebody that would be too emotionally affected, but like say one of their member gets captured or something, right? She's cool. She remains calm. I wonder what kind of thing could like make her lose her disposition. She just always would be very on task. Um, so it's hard to imagine what struggles she could have. Yeah. yeah. I would love to get more of her backstory because it does seem so interesting um, like what was her childhood like growing up in Harlem? Didn't it say that she came? Um, her parents are nomages. I think that's yeah. yes. And so um, she's nomage yeah. born. Like I would be really interested to see what that looks like in the community where she grew up and how she learned that she was a witch and what it looked like for her to make that transition into the wizarding world. How she became so skilled so quickly. I feel like she's got some Hermione energy about her too in yeah. terms of how quickly she must have picked up on living in the wizarding world. I just think it would be really great to get more of that context. I don't know if it's appropriate for these movies, um, but I would love it if she turned out to be the standout character of these films and did get a spinoff show. Well, what I love about 
the email we got from James too about her accent is this implication that as a character, maybe she's either, you know, grows up rich or is adopting the persona of that like educator in the way that she speaks that that more high class person almost as like a defense mechanism to help her achieve her ambitions. I love that read as a possible read into her character because we know how damn good she is. So it'd be be like if Hermione started talking like she was an adult, you know, like really cool. Yeah. Yeah. I think maybe assuming we do see another movie, I feel like a broken record prefacing everything I say with that at this point. Um, I think, think maybe we could finally get an explanation for why she was in this book and opening up that whole storyline that could be a good way to continue to keep her relevant just because you know that's how we were initially introduced to her so there has to be more there and then she's already proven herself as a worthy part of this group and so she'll just continue to be a natural relevant part of the fight going forward not to mention she kind of has experienced firsthand now some of Grindelwald's terror and reign so she'll be further motivated by that to stay involved with the fight I would think I don't think we've seen the last of her assuming this film franchise continues but I think even if it doesn't there's enormous potential because we only scratch the surface of her character in this film. There's clearly so much going on there. And I think that should the franchise choose to branch out in other directions, she would be a great character to continue working with. Jessica Williams just needs to fly over to California, knock on Mr. Warner Brothers door and say, look, I've been a fan of Harry Potter since third grade. Let me tell you what to do with this series or maybe a TV show about my character going forward. We've mentioned it before. They need some sort of like fan panel to consult with from time to time when they're cooking Mm. ideas. And (laughs) ask Jessica, call up Ivana Lynch, be like, yo, what do y'all think of this? Will the fans like it? All right. Well, if you have any feedback about our discussion today, you can contact us by writing or sending a voice message to mugglecast at gmail.com. If you're sending a voice message, just record that message using the voice memo app on your phone. You can also use the contact form on mugglecast.com to write to us, or you can leave a voicemail on our phone line. The number is 19203Muggle. That's 19203684453. Okay, it's time for Quizage. Last week's question, who was the headmaster of Hogwarts immediately before Albus Dumbledore? The correct answer is Armando Dippet. Correct answers were submitted by the emo who lived, wizard gamer, chillin' like a chillin'. Gray Squirrel Patronus is the best. Number one, Griffinclaw supporter, insert witty screen name, Boat Truck L. Sirius Black's ego, Seymour Butts going pro in Hogwarts Legacy, Ron Weasley wifey. Giggle Water makes me wiggle. Boobatuber Processor, King of Kings, and Mika, as well as others. Uh, and here is next week's Quizage question. What did Hogwarts students have to do in their end-of-year exam for charms class in Harry's first year? 
submit your answer to us over on the MuggleCast website, MuggleCast.com slash Quizich, or go to the site and click on Quizich in the navbar menu thing at the top. Navbar menu thing. What do we even, who even remembers navbar, right? Who talks about that? With the last time I heard that word, I probably said it in 2007. I don't know. When you were talking to me about my little section on MuggleNet.com. Yeah. <laughs> We would love your support at patreon.com slash MuggleCast if you don't already support us. It helps us run the show and you'll get lots of benefits in return. By the way, Patreon just released a new update to their mobile app and it's easier than ever to listen to audio through the app. There's a little yeah. audio feed now so you can just quickly see the latest uh, bonus content and ad-free MuggleCast releases. So check that out if you haven't yet. By the way, we are going to be rolling out two physical gifts this year. One of them is for patrons who pledge $5 or more and the other one is for those who pledge $10 or more. Though the latter will also be getting both gifts. We're wrapping up work on both of these now and they're both going to be so good. So make sure you pledge at Patreon slash MuggleCast so you won't miss out on these physical gifts. Again, sorry we uh, lost Micah midway through, but he'll be back next week. He is okay. He is alive. I understand he's the keeper of the keys in his It's a very important job. Yes, and he had to run and use his keys. (laughs) Don't forget to follow us on our social media channels. We are MuggleCast on Twitter, Facebook, Instagram, and TikTok. And actually, one more reminder, make sure you follow the show for free in your favorite podcast app so you never miss an episode. Thanks, everybody, for listening. I'm Andrew. I'm Eric. And I'm Laura. See everybody next week. Bye. Bye. Bye.